0: Stand Up With The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpWithTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up With The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion, addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at standupwithatruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. We love you guys. Thank you for uh, checking out the podcast and, of course, sharing it. got a great topic today, and we're going to be... Going back and talking about a book that we actually were uh, in discussion about with Terry James, the author of the book. We've got the co-author, Pete Garcia, with us in just a minute, and the book is called The Disappearing. I have it in my hand. I've been reading through it. There's so much in there. So we're going to talk about some world events, globalism, um, so many other things, the rapture, of course, Bible prophecy, the division in the church, and other things. But uh, we need to open up in prayer today. we This ministry has been hit just with spiritual warfare as most ministries have, but I think the more you are doubling down and doing God's work and just speaking the truth and, um, I don't know, coming against all the agendas, the demonic agendas, the forces of darkness, um, you will be attacked. We can expect that, some form of persecution or attack. So we, this ministry, Stand For The Truth, and Q90FM needs your prayers. So thank you for that. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us another day to declare your truth. Give us wisdom, Lord. As always, we ask that you guide us by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for giving us your word. We know your word is truth. We know we can have our feet on a solid foundation and stand against the schemes of the devil. And we pray that you give us better understanding of these days that we're living in, Lord, and how to respond, not just an understanding, Father, we just don't want head knowledge, Please help us know how to respond to these things that are happening as we continue to lead people, hopefully, to the truth of Jesus Christ and to preach the gospel. Lord, thank you. Give us discernment today, and we love you for just uh, all that you're doing. We know we, we are always uh, trusting you, sometimes uh, not knowing what's going on in the realm of the Spirit, but we know you're always working. We ask that you guide us today, and thank you, God. Your mercies are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're blessed to have Pete Garcia with us today. He's a retired military veteran and an aviator, writer, speaker, teacher of Bible prophecy and apologetics. He has a B.A. in international relations and wrote for Jack Kinsella's The Omega Letter from 2011 to 2018. He's written over 500 articles that are carried on numerous websites and platforms, and he's contributed to a couple chapters uh, to uh, Terry James' uh, books published, uh, The Discerner's, I I think it's just Discerner's and Lawless, and he's happily married with five children, and he's here to talk about the brand new book, The Disappearing, Future Events That Will Rock the World. Pete Garcia, welcome to Stand Up For The Truth.
1: Well, thanks for having me. It's an honor.
0: It's right, so a blessing to uh, speak with you, sir. Uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about your background. You are retired, but uh, we really appreciate and respect military men. Uh, and, of course, we'll maybe talk about a little later how the military has changed and is changing on purpose. But just your background and what got you to writing and your interest in Bible prophecy.
1: Well, I grew up in a, a, a church home, uh, a family that went to church uh, and I think somewhere around the time I was, uh, I think, a junior, senior in high school, my uh, youth pastor had uh, had just retired, got out, of, got out of the Marine Corps, and he came to our church. He was new. He was on fire for the Lord. He got us really all, our youth group, into prophecy. And I, we'd never been exposed to that before, so we were pretty excited to learn about it. But, you know, after high school, I, I joined the Army in the 90s. I was enlisted. uh kind of drifted away. I was in Europe for a couple of years. And, you know, it wasn't that I didn't um, love God or, you know, wasn't interested in churches. It's the world was more interesting to me at that time, traveling, uh, just doing all that stuff, you know, experiencing life, you know, skiing and, and everything that the world had to offer. And then that kind of eventually led into just drifting away altogether. Hmm. So I think from really from about 97 to about 2007 – Really, the end of 2007, I was just kind of just doing my own thing. Church was an afterthought. Church was always something that I I saw as a burden, something that I had to do, and I I put zero effort into it. I I didn't study. I didn't know anything. I mean, I I basically knew enough about the Bible to know there was an Old Testament and a New Testament, and I maybe knew John three sixteen, but that was about the extent of my knowledge. Mm -hmm. So, in 2007, or, or let me back up a little bit. 2002, I commissioned. I graduated from college, commissioned, and I went into uh, the Army as a uh, medevac pilot, uh, was stationed in Korea, uh, got uh, sent to Fort Campbell after that in the 101st Airborne Division. From there, I deployed to Iraq, turned around a year later, deployed to Afghanistan. Well, in between those two deployments there, uh, you know, God really reached out and shook me and, uh, in quite a unique way, and, and that's what really got my attention And from there, I I just really, I prayed uh, somewhere between, I want to say it was between September, October, and December. I I just prayed that uh, God would give me a hunger for His Word, Mm. and He would give me understanding. Because, you know, before that, I couldn't read the Bible. Like, I could read a chapter, my eyes would grow heavy. I'd be falling asleep. I couldn't remember anything. You know, then after this, after this prayer, um, uh, you know, I was reading hours and hours a day, and I was able to like retain everything I, I learned. And so I thankfully had some good mentors along the way. Jack Kinsella is one of them. Uh, just guys that, that took complicated topics and just made it simple for guys like me to understand. And then once I got to understand these topics, I began to kind of take these things on and, and I'm talking about you know anything from like the Trinity to sanctification to any of the theological doctrines. I was just able to to, you know, this isn't me, this isn't because I'm smart, it's because God is just using me mm. to 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 do these things, to, to be a, a voice for Him, but shortly after um, this come-to-Jesus moment in 2007, uh, I was in Afghanistan, I was newly married, I had a um, a really gross, a real big growth spurt that year. I came back and I wanted to be involved in something, and I didn't know what to do, mm. and um, I was joining... Uh, prison ministries. I was looking at the Gideons. I was just trying to find my niche and where God wanted to use me. And somewhere along the way, I got to writing uh, in one of the army forums that they had, and it was more like you know debating Christian stuff <laughs> with you know atheists and agnostics and folks like that. And uh, somewhere in that process, two thousand nine, ten, somewhere in there, uh, I found the Omega letter. I contributed a little bit to the forums, just some things that I was thinking about at the time, and they invited me to write. And uh, I, t- before this, I hated writing. Like, <laughs> writing was like the last thing in the world I ever wanted to do. That's so funny. That, you know, that's how I know God used this. <laughs> this was God thing, not me. That's right. That was the last, seriously, that was like the last <laughs> thing I wanted to do was to write. So here we are, you know, 11 years later, and, <clears> you know, hundreds of articles and, and books and contributions and things like that. I, I, I really feel that that this is where God used me. Now that doesn't mean that I haven't stopped doing other things. I I still uh, visit those in prison. I still uh, teach and preach where I can. I was in Saudi Arabia a couple of years ago, working in an underground church there, and um, you know, with believers from from all over the Middle East, we'd meet up there in uh, Riyadh. Um, but yeah, so I I just try to be an open open vessel to God where He can use me.
0: Praise God. Um, your website, I want to give that out before I forget, rev310.net. That's rev 3 net. And, uh, Pete, the book, The Disappearing, was uh, originally going to come out sooner, but it had some sort of glitch because of COVID and publishing and paper shortages or something. Uh, has that uh, impacted the readership? Has Have more people found out about it since? How, how did that unfold?
1: You know, I so Terry uh, approached me about it after we had finished Lawless, a few months after Lawless had come out, and was at, was asking me if I was interested in in co-authoring this book with him, and I said absolutely. You know, you, you know, if Terry asked me to to help with anything, I'm going to jump on the chance. <laughs> to it. But um, I I I, I want to say that we begin working on that book. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the time now, but it it was it was about five months in the process, you know, of just collecting um, articles, putting them together, then rewriting them, and making sure that everything kind of flowed together in in a cohesive manner. And then Terry wanted to add in this this fictional narrative to the story to kind of give put flesh on the bones here for this. You know, it's it's it is a theological doctrine. It is a, a a doctrine-heavy type book, mm-hmm. but we wanted to put the fictional story in there to kind of give some relevance to people to see how this would actually look or potentially play out. So I think the characters and, and the the fictional side of it was, was Terry's idea to do that, and uh, he just let me kind of run with it. So that's what we did.
0: Well, we are going to talk about the rapture and the timing of it, and one one thing in particular, uh, the environmental impact on the earth uh, of the tribulation and uh, talking about what happens after the rapture, the fallout. We'll be talking about some of these things. We Before we do that, I want to mention for our listeners who have not picked up the book yet, Jan Markell wrote The Foreword. Of course, she's uh, one of uh, the listeners' favorite guests, probably top ten here on this podcast, and uh, she's been a blessing to this ministry personally. Um, before we get into the book, t- uh, uh, Pete, I want to ask you about your military insight on the modern-day push to either weaken the military or control it by the globalists, the left, uh the the Biden administration. What are your thoughts on that and what do you see? It's particularly the the shots. We had someone we had a doctor on, Dr. Lee Merritt a couple days ago, and she was talking about the effects of the vaccine in many of the military with heart issues and other things. What can you tell us about that? What is your insight?
1: Well, you know, uh being in for 22 years, obviously I have, I could fill probably three or four sheets of vaccine uh, reports of everything that they've injected into my body in the mm. name of, you know, national security. I've had six series of anthrax shots. Wow. Uh, everything from, from that to Tdap to, to typhoid, I mean, everything, you know, so I've had all these shots. And I think the main difference between this those shots, what we consider traditional vaccines and what the mRNA is uh, that's being pushed now, is just that this this is an mRNA that 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 the people creating it didn't fully understand what the the full ramifications were going to be in the long term. So I know that my efficacy rates for uh, let's just say Tdap uh, wane after ten years. You know uh, I may be subject to whatever the infection is. Uh, you know after ten years, it's not as strong as it was. You know in that previous those previous years. So. Mm-hmm. But this mRNA stays in your body forever and, it, it, and it's been proven now to change, to alter and, and you know, we don't know fully to the, what extent it does to, to your DNA, um, but it, it's there forever and it's changing something forever. So my main issue is, is that for me personally, um, thankfully I, I was out before this became uh, mandated, but for all those folks that, that, um, that are in now and I still have many friends that are in, um, You know they're just having to bite the bullet and take it now. Wow. What that what that means in the long run, though, is is you know we look at the big picture. So we look at where the world's the Bible says the world's going to be and by Revelation 13. It's going to be all under the control of this this beast government, mm-hmm. and this beast government is going to is going to consolidate this control under uh, you know seven heads and ten crowns, and and these are le- leaders in places of authority, and and I believe that this is going to be some kind of a regionally controlled uh, world government. With the regional heads that control, uh, they, you know, through these kings, they're going to control the whole world. The Club of Rome, the U.S. Dep- Department of Defense, C- breaking up the world into regions is not a new thing. This is this is pretty common, actually. I mean, we divide the world up into seven regions through the military. You know, you have Army North, Army South. Uh, you know, uh, our North, our South. You have CENTCOM for the Middle East, PACOM for the Pacific. Africom obviously for Africa, UConn for Europe. So those those mm. com, those regions are broken up and they're put under the command of one person. Interesting. And so I think that ultimately that the world's uh leadership to include our president administration are really pushing to make this happen. So the it's kind of like you know what uh, John the Baptist said, you know, I must decrease so he can increase. I think that the the that these global leaders, these people you know uh, Soros, uh, Klaus Schwab, mm-hmm. Bill Gates—all these guys that are that are pushing for a one-world system because they think that that's going to fix everything—they are doing everything they can to orchestrate the weakening of America, and I yes. think that's kind of what we're seeing in all this.
0: Yes, we are, and I think um, maybe we can jump ahead to one of the questions I was going to ask, but you kind of touched on it in the control—you know—that they're 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 aiming for that the left would. Like to have globalists, socialists, Marxists, whatever. You can put a lot of names and titles in that category of those who hate God. They're anti American. They want to weaken the West. Um, let's jump ahead maybe to the, uh, to the end, Pete, and then we'll, we'll start filling in some of the details on your book, The Disappearing. Um, how will governments handle the sudden disappearance at the rapture of millions of people? This is one of the, the theological views that, that we take, many of our listeners, not all, but many in our audience take, the pre-tribulation rapture, that's the view that we take, uh, we hold to w- w- governments. When this happens, I know some have speculated, oh, they're going to make excuses uh, for how so many people disappeared. What are your thoughts on that? I know we could talk a long time about that, but just to kind of wet people's whistles into, into your book, The Disappearing.
1: Well, the I want to say it's the National Security Agency and a bunch of different depart, uh, uh, departments within our government. Every so many years, they'll put out these predictions of what they think the future is going to hold. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, they may write something in 1990 predicting what the world's going to look like based off current trends in the year 2000. And then 2000 gets there, and it's nothing like what they predicted. And then in 2000, they predict what 2010 is going to look like. So they they put these out every few years. And, and all of the ones that I've read going back to 1990 um, none of them talk about the rapture none of them talk about the the spiritual world in general in terms of being a you know having any kind of uh, relevance to the the geopolitics of today so I can say from it, at least a government position uh, they don't they don't view the rapture as a viable threat I mean if you turn on the History Channel or National Geographic at <laughs> night and they do all these what the, you know, the apocalypses are going to happen. None of them talk about the Lord returning. It's always like environmental, like you yep. know, the world's going to burn up, it's going to flood, it's going to ice over, the comet's going to hit it, whatever. But none of them touch on the spiritual component, right? That's right. In the military, we have they have the what they call the multi-domain um, approach to operations. So you have land, sea, air, and now they've added a few extra because of our technology: cyber, cyber warfare, information warfare, subterranean warfare. Um, you know, you name it—they're—they're—they're they're, they're delving into these domains, but none of the domains touch on the spiritual domain. None of none of their focuses. So, I do think it'll catch the world off guard, and mm-hmm. I think that there will be a gap from the time that the rapture happens to the time that the actual 70th week begins, the tribulation. How long that gap is, nobody knows. But there's nothing in scripture that ties. Um, the signing of the covenant in Daniel 9.27, which starts the 70th week, with the actual rapture event itself. There's no connective tissue between the two. Hmm. So I think that there is there is a period of time, and then during this period of time is where the governments are going to try and, and uh, rein in, obviously, this, this major global crisis that's happening, um, uh, because you're going to have the collapse of the United States, uh, for sure. And then you're gonna have the rapture of children from all over the world. So this is gonna impact every culture different or or equally in terms of that. But the economic aspects of it with the United States collapsing, because if you take let's just say hypothetically it's ten percent and it could be more or less that that gets removed instantly at the rapture, Mm -hmm. that's thirty to forty million people that are gonna remove from the earth or from the United States. That is gonna absolutely collapse the United States. So it'll collapse the government, it'll create a vacuum geopolitically in the world. Hmm. Uh, As the U.S. is kind of imploding in on itself and you're going to have other nations like China, Russia, uh, the EU uh, trying to scramble to uh, both a harness or collect up our massive military weapons and technologies here in the United States. It's going to be like a giant garage sale here as well as trying to get a handle on how they're going to message this and to control the message to the masses. That's
0: right. That would be a fascinating thing that, you know, if I could be a fly on the wall, Lord willing, I'll be out of here. But I would love to know how how the media will report on this. We're speaking with Pete Garcia, and he and Terry James have a new book out called The Disappearing, Future Events That Will Rock the World. We're going to be diving in a little bit more into the book and talking about the division in the church regarding the timing of the rapture. We're also going to talk about the environmental impact of the tribulation on the earth. And the fallout from the rapture. We just talked a little bit about that now, but we'll get into detail. And then uh, chapter 14, we'll get to that in segment three today, talking about rules for the remnant. More with Pete Garcia when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest today is Pete Garcia. You can find out more about him at Rev310.net. Hey, Pete, before we uh, jump into the book a little bit more, you mentioned before we got on air here that that you are going to be speaking at a conference and uh, you've been preaching a little bit from the pulpit. Just share a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I got invited to speak at the Prophecy Watchers Conference in Colorado Springs. It's uh, May 20th through 22nd, uh, I think at the Marriott. But, uh, yeah, so I, I think they're sold out at this point, but uh, they do have live streaming options uh, available. So they just go to the Prophecy Watchers website, and then they'll have their flyers and stuff up for that.
0: Wow, great conference. Um, yeah, so I'm glad people will be able to stream. It seems like that's another thing, not to get too far off topic, but a lot of these conferences with this type of uh, topic and subject matter are filling up, and there's a reason for that. We were talking also before we got back on the air that a lot of our listeners to this podcast found us because their pastor, for whatever reason, or their church leader, they're not addressing so much of this bible prophecy the the immorality in america just the the demonic agendas they're not so they don't know how to respond to some of these things so we're going to dive into your book a little bit more i'm going to quote victor davis hansen in a minute um but i just want to share with you guys it's just you've got to pick up this book i think you'll really be enlightened by some of it, even the appendix The appendices, I should say. But uh, the description says, each hour brings troubling headlines and every report seems more intrusive upon our daily lives than the previous. And all accounts appear to be setting the end time stage for the soon fulfillment of God's prophetic word. So one of those things that we see uh, from Scripture and we see obviously from world events happening is chapter 4 in your book, The Decline of Western Civilization. Now, Pete, Admittedly, this is not a happy topic. This is not something that Americans like to say, hey, let's talk about this. (laughs) But we have to, and we have to talk about what's happening and not ignore it and not bury our heads in the sand and also need to be prepared for you know, how to respond to the things that are going on around us. So you start off the chapter by quoting a phenomenal man, uh, Victor Davis Hanson. He said, Evil is ancient, unchanging, and with us always the more postmodern the west becomes and then he says meaning affluent leisured nursed on moral equivalence utopian pacifism and multicultural relativism the more premodern the evil among us seems to arise in nihilistic response so as we jump into this and we're going to begin talking a little bit about the new world order Pete Garcia share about why you decided to include that quote and how that opens up this chapter on the decline of Western civilization.
1: I think uh, uh, Victor Davis, D- Davis Hansen is uh, probably preeminent or one of the preeminent experts on on the rise and fall of civilizations, both ancient
2: hmm. and how
1: the, the ancient rise and fall kind of echoes what we're seeing today with our own decline. Uh, we know that there's generally about a 250 year lifespan for most empires before mm-hmm. they change. Yeah, and the United States has been blessed in this regard that where other nations in this last century have changed their currencies, they've changed their governments, they've changed their constitutions. The U.S. has had this mainstay since really going back to 1776. So I I, I think God has uh, had his hand on this nation going back to the pilgrims, uh, that he used our nation in these last days to, to achieve two fundamental things. One is that that we would be a lighthouse for the nations, that the gospel would go out, and I think we've seen that through the Great Awakenings one and two, as well as the evangelistic movements in the 20th century. Um, and then the second one was to be the 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 safeguard, I guess, the the shepherd in in a sense, geopolitically speaking, for the the nation of Israel, for the rebirth of Israel, uh, to be there. Yeah, we haven't always gotten along with Israel. Different administrations have different approaches. But for mm-hmm. the most part, we've had this kind of amicable um, uh, approach to them in terms of supporting them and making sure that, that if the crisis ever came, we would be there for them. And that's all really changed with the last uh, three administrations. You had mm-hmm. the Obama administration was very anti-Zionistic. You had the Trump, which is com- uh, 180, completely you know pro-Zionistic. And then you had... Uh, a return of the Obama administration with Biden, uh, Obama two point oh, yep. uh, really, really uh, doing things that are going to uh, are meant to hurt and punish Israel. So, uh, I think we've kind of run our course in terms of what's happening. I, I personally believe, and I include this in the book, that the seven letters to the seven churches that Jesus spoke in Revelations two and three uh, chronicle the ages of the church. And we can see that, that Paul wrote seven letters to seven churches. Jesus had uh, seven kingdom parables, mystery kingdom parables. And they all overla- overlay each other. And they all point to, in the way in the order that they're put in, they show this uh, progressive stage or you know evolution of the church throughout the last 2,000 years. And we are in this final stage in the Laodicea mm-hmm. uh, where churches are increasingly, because the world is putting pressure on them to conform and to... To whether it's the, the vaccine mandates or whether it's the LGBTQ plus you know Alpha zero one two three whatever uh, agenda <laughs> plus 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 and then, and then you have you know just the other the other pressures to conform uh, to this globalist mantra that's being crammed down everybody's throat. So I think we're starting to see churches left and right who aren't teaching Bible prophecy. Uh, they're folding fast, mm. and they are—they are—they're either folding in terms of completely endorsing uh, this modernist post-Christian uh, agenda, or they are are beco- you know clamming up and they're saying, "Hey, hey, that's not—we have nothing to do with this. We're just going to, you know, mind our own business and not do anything." And and I think that that's the problem that most of the churches today. And so obviously parishioners go to these churches and they're not—they're not getting this information from the pulpit, so they're looking for other sources. And uh, this is where ministries like mine, yours, uh, and uh, Jan Markels and everybody else, you know, we we are uh, benefiting from this because the pulpits are silent. If the pulpits were silent, you and I wouldn't be talking about this today. We'd be talking about something else. So they are not doing their job, so God is, is using me. And and, and trust me, I'm, I'm the least, I would have thought of myself as the least qualified person in the world to talk about anything <laughs> of this. But God said, nope, I'm using Pete to do this. And he's going to do it, and uh i'm going to give him the tools and and basically i mean this is this is god this is i'm i'm again i'm not that smart i I'm just a dumb helicopter pilot i i am a knuckle dragging helicopter pilot, <laughs> and so i I think God can take a guy like me and use me um despite all my uh flaws and warts and everything else and and I think that that he is going to get his message across regardless he's uh- going to use whoever he's going to use. To get this message out in the last days, because we are we are quickly running out of time.
0: Amen, brother. There's so much you said there, I can relate to. I, I mean, I I know God doesn't call the qualified; He qualifies the called. And I certainly didn't feel equipped or qualified. But uh, you know, God, uh, He uses the weak to shame the strong. Uh, and there's so many verses on that on that idea that uh, hey, if, if you have something that God can use, let Him do it. And uh it's just it's just been a blessing. But it is sad that you said, you know, a lot of churches they're either compromising and of course I think it's Romans twelve two, do not conform to the world's ways, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's compromise, there's accommodation to what the Bible considers sin. And this must not be, but uh there's a warning. Isaiah five twenty, woe that woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And and Pete Garcia, are we ever seeing Evil being called good. And we're not surprised that it's happening in our country or culture or around the world, but in the church, that is part of Satan's scheme, isn't it? Deception inside the church.
1: Yeah, and, 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 I'm, and I'm in the conference, I'm teaching through the book of Jude, and one of the things that Jude mm, brings out, yes. and what you see the correlations between him and, and what Peter wrote in Second Peter. Uh, when Peter wrote, uh, about the false prophets, he said they were coming. Uh, when Jude wrote, they were already there. And so Jude felt mm-hmm. compelled to contend for the faith, uh, to, to um, defend, in a, in a sense, the gospel that was once for all delivered to the saints. So the, the false prophets, the false teachers, the false messiahs, the Gnosticism, the, these are all uh, things that it had begun in the embryonic stage of the church in the first century, and, and I love what uh, Jay Vernon McGee said and, and I'm paraphrasing him here he said what was a, a storm cloud in the size of a hand in Jude's day is now a hurricane force that fills the land talking about apostasy mm. and everywhere you look I mean it is it is sweeping through everything and this is this corruption um, you know Satan realized long ago by the third century that the more he persecuted the church the faster it spread and I think that's what we see today with regards to what's going on in China and Iran with with uh, uh, people turning to faith in Christ in the thousands, Mm -hmm. right? And it's exploding over there. But in the West, it's dying. Uh, We're gospel-resistant now. We're gospel-hardened to to the good news. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, he changed his tactic in the third century. Once Constantine legalized Christianity, he began to uh, corrupt the church by by marrying the church up with the world. Instead of the church going out into the world, the world came into the church. And it's been this corruption that's been going on ever since. And once that happened, uh, the, the, the topic of eschatology, of Bible prophecy, all of that got really just uh, fractured and, mm-hmm. and uh, watered down and diminished. And for the next, you know, thousand years or so, uh, wow. churches didn't talk about it. You right. know? Uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church said, hey, we're the kingdom. Yep. You know, that's why we have a pope. He's the vicar of Christ. He's going <laughs> to rule vicariously in the place of Christ here on the earth. We are the kingdom. We're going to do these crusades. We're going to do these inquisitions. We're going to we're going to do all these sell so, uh, indulgences and yep. and build our worldly kingdom here because we're the kingdom. And and that really uh, harmed uh, the the that almost threatened the existence of the church to such a large degree. But God always has his remnant. Yep. God always has his people that He's pulled out, and He will preserve through those times. And then you see the the reemergence of uh, uh, evangelicalism, Christianity exploding in the 18th, 19th century. And we're kind of at the tail end of that now. Yeah. So these things kind of go in cyclical nature.
0: Amazing, uh, Pete. I was just going to ask you about that, really about the church, on page 57 of your book. And by the way, if you just joined us, we're speaking with author Pete Garcia. He wrote the book with Terry James called The Disappearing. And um I want to mention, you mentioned your your topic and what you're going to be speaking on. If people want to watch this prophecy watchers conference online may 19th through the 22nd i'm looking at the list of speakers pete and we've had many of them on this podcast billy crone uh, who else did i see here um, let's see nathan jones uh who else i was going this is a long list um, Yeah, there's a bunch of guys terry james i mean just a great list of speakers bill koenig gary sternman thomas ice uh, so if you guys want to check that out, and you can uh, check it out online, of course, if it is full, and you can go to prophecywatchers.com. But uh, Pete, let's go to the division in the church. You were talking about church history. Where did, When did this division in the church uh, begin regarding the timing of the rapture, and uh, what, what were some of the catalysts that, that happened? I know you alluded to some of it already.
1: Well, uh, really, uh, I think the first three centuries, the the early church was prominently or predominantly uh, premillennial in in how they viewed things. Uh, You you go back to writings from uh, Irenaeus, uh, uh, Justin Martyr. They didn't have everything worked out uh, 100%, but uh, generally you could say that they were premillennial. And it wasn't until about the time of origin uh, in the second century, or excuse me, going into the third century, uh, where he began to, because of his upbringing, his background, he was um, uh, kind of steeped in Greek philosophy, he began to allegorize Scripture. So he began to think, just for an example, and I'm not saying this is specific to him, but if he were to take, like, say, Noah's Ark, he would say, well, that's not really real. That's more like a God is really just protecting us, um, you know, kind of that that mentality. That That's how they, they spiritualize these texts so that they're no longer real, they're spiritual. Well, then he influences a guy later on named Augustine. Augustine writes this uh, book called The City of God. Mm. Uh, and, and in that, he, he also is steeped in, in Greek philosophy, uh, believes that the spirit is good and the flesh is bad. So he had a hard time reconciling how the kingdom was going to come back to earth with Christ physically ruling on the earth. So Revelation 20, even though it mentions the, the thousand-year reign of Christ six times in that one chapter, um, or the length of it, that's a thousand years. Six times, uh, he 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 just you know spiritualized that away. While well, Augustine goes on to uh, influence and be really foundational to the many of the doctrines within the Roman Catholic Church, who came to dominate the Christendom for the next thousand years. So, fast forward to the year fifteen hundred, we have the Reformation mm-hmm. with Martin Luther breaking away. So, when Martin Luther and uh, Swingley and all these other guys were getting out of the Roman Catholic system or sphere of influence, they changed um, certain, they they returned back to certain doctrines that were always in the Bible, like um, uh, salvation by grace through faith. You know, Mm -hmm. Martin Luther didn't invent that. He simply rediscovered what was there, right? (laughs) Right. uh, but, but, But for all the good that they did when they came out of the Roman Catholic system, they brought with it that eschatological baggage of the Roman Catholic Church, which was amillennialism. And then you have uh, the the counter pro, uh counter reformation, you have the development, the creation of the Jesuits who were designed to really kinda of go after the protest the Protestants. And somewhere in there, uh Proterism was developed um, by one of these Roman Catholic priests. Uh, basically saying that all prophecy had ended because, you know, at the time the the Protestant reformers, a lot of them were alluding to saying that they, the Pope was the Antichrist. So mm. now they had to come back and kind of counter that. And so now you have amillennialism, premillennialism, preterism. And then uh, that kind of was the mainstay for the next, you know, 100 years. Now, premillennialism had continued from the first century forward. There's always been people that believed in the premillennial um, uh, eschatological position, that Christ would have to return to earth in order to establish his kingdom. Uh, Somewhere in the 18th century, post-millennialism became this thing, and that's where the church was going to have to take. So when the Great Awakenings 1 and 2 began to happen in the late uh, 1700s and 1800s, Christianity was, you know, these huge revivals, and so now people are getting the mentality, especially through the Restoration Movement, that, um, that the church was going to take over the world, and then, and then, once the church conquered the world for Christ, then Christ could return. Mm. Well, that kind of died off at the start of World War One. Um, <laughs> you know, obviously, <laughs> there's just a, that kind of crushed that whole idea. Um, but there's just there's been a fracturing now. Mm-hmm. Now, John Nelson Darby back in the 1800s, yep. and and, uh, and just like Martin Luther didn't invent uh, salvation by grace through faith, he simply rediscovered it. John Nelson Darby didn't invent dispensationalism. Dispensationalism is in the Bible; it's been in the Bible from day one. Uh, he simply re- uh, rediscovered what was already there. Mm-hmm. He looked at it from a different point of view and said, "Hey, what if we look at it this way?" And it's the most common sense way to look at the Bible—that God deals, that the same God who never changes deals with people differently throughout throughout the ages. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you and I—we're not running around naked uh, and living in a garden, uh, you know, without a care in the world because that's Applied to Adam and Eve, that doesn't apply to us today. There's different rules for them than there are today. Same thing with Noah's day. Same thing with Moses' day. Same thing, you know, before uh, Christ came, and then the, the way the world is after Christ' uh, death, burial, and resurrection. So, just recognizing that there's different changes, these 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 ages that mm-hmm. we're in now, is what uh, is what you know. It's how I've come to understand the Bible, and and it, and it really is the most um, grammatically, historically. And literal way to just take the Bible for what it says, Amen. Not, not to read into it.
0: Yes, Pete Garcia is our guest today. The book is called The Disappearing, and you just kind of alluded to the ages in chapter 14, the age of innocence, conscience, human government, the age of promise, the law, the church, and the millennial age. When we come back, we're going to talk about the environmental impact of the tribulation on the earth, and in chapter 14 of the book, what are the rules for the remnant more with Pete Garcia on Stand Up for the Truth in just a minute. Your monthly financial support of standupforthetruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up for the Truth with David Fiorazzo. The website is rev310.net. What is rev310? Well, Revelation 3, verse 10 says, Because you have kept my word of perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of the testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. And then it says, I'm coming quickly. Hold firmly to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Pete Garcia, we've got limited time, and hopefully we can cover three (laughs) topics at the end here. But the book is called "The Disappearing." Let's talk about the environmental impact of the tribulation on the earth.
1: Well, okay, so we've got the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and then the bowl judgments. Obviously, Christ initiates the seal judgments. He's the one that opens the seals. That, in each of those seals, kind of uh, at the end of the seals, those trigger the, the trumpet judgments. And then, so the first four seal judgment, or the first four seal judgments, you have the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, the the, the arrival of the Antichrist, his political conquest of the world. Mm-hmm. You have the the global war that kind of breaks out in response to that. Uh, obviously, the uh, impacts of war is going to be worldwide famine, famine and shortages. Then you'll have pestilence and and pandemics and things that will follow that. And then the fifth seal, you have the cry of the martyrs. That's where, in my personal opinion, this is a theory. That these are people that came to faith right after the rapture. They realized what happened, huh. and now they're kind of speaking out against the Antichrist. They're speaking out about taking the mark of the beast, and that they're going to be put to death because they're halting, uh, you know, I got air quotes here, global progress. <laughs> and then you have the sixth field judgment, which is the cosmic, uh, disturbances, and you have this massive earthquake, and you've got people going to bunkers, uh, hiding and trying to, um, Shield themselves. Now, I believe that the seal judgments are progressive in how they come out. So, Christ opens up in the heavens; they they become reality on the earth. But the Antichrist is not going to go away at the end of the sixth seal, the seventh. The seventh seal. He's going to be there throughout the entire. So, I think a lot of these things will carry forward throughout the the rest of the tribulation. Now, by the end of the sixth seal, though, you're going to see that a quarter of the world's population is dead. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, today's standard, you know, $8 billion. There's probably $2 billion that are going to be dead at this point. Wow. Now, the ramifications for that, obviously, I think, contribute to the pandemics and the disease that will be widespread at this point. What's interesting when we get to the trumpet judgments, though, is that in uh, the, the first trumpet judgment, you get um, one-third of the vegetation is struck from this hail and, and fire mingled with blood. Uh, the... I want to say it's Nat Geo, it's one of the uh, nature websites, it says that uh, that a third of the trees in the world, uh, I think it's the Arbor Society, actually, but a okay. third of the, the, the vegetation, the trees, anything from like a large bush up to a tree is found in the Americas.
0: Huh.
1: A- and then same thing with the oceans, a third of the oceans, the Atlantic is a third of the oceans. Now, so I don't know if that means that the new world, in the new world, I mean the North Central, and South American continents are going to be taken out of the equation. But in my mind, that makes sense because now God is beginning to channelize the human populations back to the old world, back to Africa, Europe, Asia, the Middle East, and they're going to be kind of confined there because by the time you get to the bowl judgments, all the oceans are turned to blood. Um, So the the ramifications are that God is putting everybody back into this place where they can't really escape from. So I had an article recently that I wrote, uh, What We Can't Not Know, and in there it talks about how Elon Musk and these folks are wanting to go colonize Mars. Well, obviously, that kind of technology exceeds where Revelation says we're going to be because we're not going to have people living on Mars while God's pouring out judgment on the earth, and they're in Mars saying, "Wow, that sucks. I'm glad we're here." You know, no, He's not going to allow that to happen. So, I think the time is that that we are humanity is pressing forward with technology, these technological advances, which in you know Genesis eleven six the Tower of Babel, God makes that statement. He goes, if we, you know, man is united in language and purpose, there's nothing that will be withheld from them. So God intervenes at that point. I think God, we're getting to that point now where God is going to have to intervene again because we're pressing forward in this uh, technological manner that is, uh, I'm going to say forcing God's hand, obviously here he already knows what's going to happen, but it's, its we're pressing into it, if, if I can put it that way.
0: Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a lot of things that uh, we can only imagine as far I mean you just mentioned you know the oceans and and what's going to happen with the sea and and uh, the vegetation the produce and we uh, it won't be recognizable is what is that fair to say the 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 world the earth our land whatever continent it really won't be recognizable
1: uh no no in fact I think right after the rapture that God is going to be is going to, not just God but the peoples of the world are going to begin to migrate away from Uh, the Americas, Mm. uh, they'll probably go to the coast. And this is all, you know, what the, the globalists want. They want everybody away from the land. They want to turn the, the land back over to nature.
2: Mm.
1: And they want to get everybody confined into these urban, uh, population centers where they can control them. Just like what it says in the Georgia Guidestones, you know, get the world population down back to under 500 million. That's right. They want to get everybody out of the, they want to, and this is why Bill Gates is buying up farmland. This is why they're passing all these Green New Deal laws that, Basically are, are, are stripping, uh, landowners from the rights to use their land how they see fit. Now they can't do things on their land anymore. The farming, uh, is being, uh, everything is getting pushed to being manufactured by, by big pharma, by these big produce, uh, companies that are conglomerates owned by, uh, you know, a handful of, of uh, major companies in the world now. Uh, every, they're buying up everything, you know, and I think what yeah. we're seeing now with the, the, all these fires going on with the, uh, food processing plants and things like that, I think that's, and what's going on with Ukraine in terms of their agricultural impact from that. It's all designed to drive, uh, control, the control of who produces food, who produces mm. medicine, who produces everything to one of these companies that's controlled by BlackRock or, you know, some of these major <laughs> investment groups.
0: Wow. Um, one thing I just thought about that you've talked about, I know, in other interviews, concerns about technology. I know we're concerned about cell phone tracking, things like that. What would be that the impact, you know, of um, the tribulation on technology and just power grids?
1: Well, I, so I, in terms of power, now, so I think – two things. One is that, uh, that, that we are on the verge of a technological breakthrough. Not, I'm not going to say it's a singularity, but I'm going to mm-hmm. say it's something akin to that where it'll be one of those watershed moments, just like the creation of the internet, right? That was a watershed moment mm-hmm. in humanity where we vastly improved information processing and communication. I think that the technology is getting now to the point where they're going to be able to move that into the body. And, uh, I think that, uh, in terms of how that goes with power, I, I think we're always going to be under the, the, uh, the whims of nature in terms of, of our dependence on power, whether it's, I, like, I don't think we're obviously going to be able to get rid of fossil fuels because uh, the, we just don't have enough time left in, in the world to do that. If we had another 100 years, maybe, but we don't have that. Um, so the, the sun, when we talk about the tribulation, uh, the third of the sun being dimmed, all those, those tech, industries that were relying upon solar power. Uh, now that's going to be removed. You talk about uh, anything that's relying upon desalinization, of the oceans, obviously that's going to be t- done away with, you know, with the waters turning to blood, mm-hmm. same thing with the fresh waters. Wow. So I think mankind is going to be can- increasingly put into this bind, this beast kingdom in the system, right, is going to be increasingly put into a bind where it becomes more desperate and more desperate for them as as the tribulation wears on.
0: Fascinating. Um, by the way, friends, the book, The Disappearing, is available on Amazon, and you can also go to Pete's website, Rev310.net. So in Chapter 14, you have a list. uh It's actually the chapter explains uh, some of this that we're talking about, but there are rules for the remnant. And th- th- just like, share a little bit about that. I don't want you to give it all away, but I think you decided to put this toward the end of the book, and there's a timeline recap. So rules for the remnant. Uh, what are they, Pete?
1: So the, the the genesis of this art it, it actually started out as an article that I wrote, and basically I wanted it to be uh, something that was concise and had everything that if somebody was left behind at the rapture they could have on one sheet of paper. Hmm. Uh, it's, uh, it's whatever the font size eleven. You could print it front and back, and <laughs> you'd have it all on one sheet of paper. Simply because I figured you know after the rapture, the internet at some point is going to go down, the government's going to lock everything down, hmm. and you're going to be on the run. And uh, you're not going to be hauling around books and libraries and <laughs> things. If you only had one sheet of paper, this was it. This had everything on it. So yeah. I have it on my website. It's rules for the Remnant. You now, obviously, in the book, the way it, it, it's printed out and stuff through the publishing, it's not on one. It's not on one sheet of paper. But I, I do have the website. Uh, the rules for the Remnant is on the website. Mm. You can go there, print it out. Just follow the print instructions at the bottom, and you'll have everything. You can laminate it. You can do whatever you need to do with it. Uh Print out a bunch of copies. Give it to your friends. hey you don't have to look at it just hold on to it you know because these are people that don't want to believe in jesus now uh it may may take the rapture for them to be convinced
0: yeah and that's brilliant because it's for people that are left behind that do not um believe and then they find this and they have some information going wow so this is why so this is why some of it explains what's happening so pete we've got about six minutes left actually five minutes left And I wanted to ask you about this article that just came across my desk, I think it was yesterday, uh, May 22nd, um, regarding the World Health Organization. Now, there's going to be a vote that's going to be taking place in Geneva, May 22nd. And share with us what you know about this. Basically, I'll I'll set it up so people know. Um, Officials from the Biden administration are working to give the World Health Organization the power to unilaterally declare a health emergency – in any country, thereby giving them emergency powers. Uh, Michelle Bachman was quoted saying this would be the biggest global power grab in our lifetime. So Pete, your thoughts on this and concerns? Well
1: I think that um, the world, uh, the folks that are, that are wholesale mm-hmm. bought into um, globalism and the idea that the only way to fix the problems in the world is for us to be all under one system. Mm-hmm. Um, are really are really looking at everything they can do to to bring. We're the last holdout. The United States is the last holdout, and it's primarily uh, predicated on our constitution. Right, our constitution does not allow us to fall under the auspices of a global government. Now they're doing all these treaties. There's like 200 treaties right now that uh, that the U.S. Um, uh, is aligned with or, or you know part of, but. I, what I what I honestly think, and then this is just my own personal theory, but I, I think they're trying to drive us to the point of a civil war. Mm-hmm. I think they're trying to drive us, and 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 regardless, regardless of how a civil war plays out, America, the United States of America, is all the weaker. Regardless,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's what they want to do. They want us to be fractured. They want us to be broken apart. The globalists, Klaus Schwab, and all those guys would be happy if California broke into or or. Eastern Washington seceded from Western Washington. Like the more fractured we are, the better for them because then we are no longer united. We're no longer the United States. We are something else. So I think there's going to be enough pushback, uh, to, to, uh, prevent any real implications happening to the United States in terms of, especially if we take the Congress back. But I think what's going to really be the trigger for this is when they collapse the currency and mm. we end up having to go to some digital currency, some central bank digital currency that gets rolled into a larger global digital currency. And then at that point, we're not going to be able to control anything, you know, in terms of, of money. That's how that they're uh-huh. going to get to us through the money. They're going to implement this now. Uh, it, it won't have uh, the the immediate impacts that we're, we're going to, you know, like Michelle Bachman and folks are saying, it'll be that creeping. It'll be a kind of this creeping control that takes over. And then next thing you know, they'll say, "Well, we, you know, this got established in 2022. there's precedent? You know, we we got to follow the precedent." <laughs> and um, the same thing that happened with the 1992 um, UN Agenda 20, what was it, 20, 2020 that they voted on back in Rio de Janeiro under President H.W. Bush, and then then Clinton signed on to it. So there's precedent, right? There's mm-hmm. precedent, and that we got to we got to do this. This is the right thing to do. So these are those soft laws that they're trying to press. Our Constitution at the, at the moment still prevents us from having to follow it,
2: uh-huh. and I
1: think there'll still be enough pushback within the government until the rapture happens to be able to fight against these things and to, to say no. But I'm telling you, once they take the money, once they, they do whatever they're going to do with our currency, mm. and we end up having to go to some new digital currency, that is when the, game, the game's over. Yep. So that's going to be everything. That's where everybody relies on. So,
0: Game changer, as, as you noted. I mean, in the article, it's, it says even some people in Washington. It says few people in Washington were even aware of this. And so it's amazing they're going to have this vote May 22nd. We'll put that article in the podcast notes today at StandUpForTheTruth.com. But Pete Garcia, thank you so much. It was very informative, very enlightening. And the book is called The Disappearing. And uh, just God bless you, brother. Keep uh, fighting the good fight. We appreciate your time today.
1: All right. Thanks for having me. It's you're, been a pleasure. You're
0: very welcome. Tomorrow, Bill Perkins of Compass International will get an update on him. He's got a phenomenal newsletter, by the way. I think, it's, I think it's monthly, but it is excellent. You want to go look that up at Compass International. I believe it's was comp- compass.org, but don't quote me on that. But thank you guys so much. Uh, what a blessing. So many important topics that we get to cover on this podcast. And guest suggestions are coming in all the time. Just let us know at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com God bless you and as always keep speaking the truth about things that matter.